Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Let me tell you my biggest concern about the events that have happened, not just in the past week, but over the past year. My biggest concern is not coronavirus. My biggest concern isn't racial issues or political issues. Those are all important concerns. My greatest concern is that many of God's people have lost their faith. Many of God's people's faith has been shaken. I'm not talking about your faith has been affected because hopefully your faith has been infected, affected. Hopefully this has been a time where you've had to develop some faith. Hopefully this has been a time where your faith has found some resilience. Hopefully your faith has been tested. Come on. But your faith hasn't been shaken. Come on. And so what we've got to learn is we've, we've got to learn to be a people that can shake off the things that would tend to disrupt what God has purposed for us. And so in all that, I'm not suggesting that we don't use wisdom. I'm not suggesting that we're not uh, considerate of other people, whether it be the virus. I'm not, con- I'm not even suggesting that there's not political reform. God knows that we need it. I'm not saying any of those things. But what I'm t- telling you today is that if you will focus on your faith, these things will not influence your peace as much as they are. And if you're like me, you've been a little too distracted this year. Come on. And by year, I mean not 2021, but just the whole last year. But beloved, I want to remind you today that we have inherited a kingdom that is unshakable. We didn't receive a kingdom that, 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 that's motivated by Washington. We didn't, we didn't receive a kingdom that, that, that is even moved by the difficulties that you're facing in your life. We have received an unshakable kingdom. Hebrews chapter 12, 28, since we are receiving. So it's it's, it's here and it's coming. Since we are receiving, since we are receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. What is our posture to be? Because we have an unshakable kingdom. It's gratitude. So we can be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. So even in a moment like this, we can be more in awe of God than the moment. Come on. We can be more in awe of God in the moment. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He is the unshakable one. He is the one that, that, that eats it all up. Come on. It's a life verse, by the way. Like Hebrews 12, love it. Now, I, I want to share this with you about Peter, about, uh, about Peter here. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus comes to Peter, and he's like, listen, things are about to get really bad. People are going to start denying me. They're going to drop off. We all know Peter was like, Lord, I won't ever, I'm not ever going to deny you. And this is what Jesus says. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Because we know how Satan is, right? He goes before the throne. He accuses us. Come on, he places his appeal before the courts of God. And Jesus says this, but I have pleaded in prayer with you. I've prayed for you, Peter. That your faith should not fail. Can I tell you today that Jesus, the great intercessor, who is praying for Peter, 
Peter, I'm praying. Simon, Simon, Peter. Simon, I'm praying that your faith will not fail. Can I tell you that that great intercessor that it tells us in Romans, that he is before the throne of the Father interceding for us, and guess what he's still praying? I'm praying, Lord, that their faith will not fail. I believe that Jesus, over the last year, has been looking at his body, and he hasn't just had his hands going, oh, no, what am I going to do? No, he's gone before the Father, and he's interceding, and he's saying, Lord, I pray that their faith will not fail. I'm praying that they will be a people that are resilient. And he says this, so when you have repented, in other words, you're going to fail. I've prayed, I've prayed, isn't that crazy that even Jesus' prayers weren't effective in this? That it was actually contingent upon Peter. That's intense. I mean, Jesus is praying. He says that when you have repented, turn to me again and strengthen your brothers. So in other words, it's not just about you, Peter. He's like, I want your faith not to just, not to just fail for you in your little personal life that I'm so concerned about, but I don't want you, I don't want it to affect your brothers. So when you've repented, it will affect them. So go back to them and strengthen them again. And we see this, that Peter actually has this turnaround, don't we? After Jesus is resurrected, he goes back, he leads the church in the book of Acts. Remember? Peter experiences revival. All these things are happening. And then, and then Peter, faith, faith, it does fail, but then he regains it. He recaptures it. Then he leads this revival. And then he writes a couple of books in the Bible. And this is what he says. Now listen, he's got this lens of experience. Right? I mean, he's, he's, he's like been on, on, on both sides. He's, he's done what he's supposed to do and done what he's not supposed to do. We know Peter, Right? And, and hopefully, and you've probably heard me say this before, hopefully we associate more with Peter in the book of Acts than we do spirit-filled Peter than we do with unspirit-filled Peter in the Gospels. Hopefully that's the Peter we associate with mostly, right? Because we're all like, man, I'm just like Peter, you know, sinking. I'm just like Peter, denying. Hopefully I'm just like Peter, shadows casting on the sick and they're healed, right? And hopefully I'm Peter standing up and preaching the gospel and, and multitudes are getting saved. That's a Peter I need to be associating with. Not just in my weakness, but also in strength. So he says this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Y'all okay today? I know I'm, I'm just preaching. So he says this. Listen, stay alert. Watch out. For your great enemy, the devil, he prowls, prowls around like. He's not a roaring lion. He's like Jesus is the roaring lion, but Satan is an imitator. So he says he roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I like to say, don't be devourable. <laughs> so he makes this statement. Okay, you watch out, you look out, you stay alert. Then he says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. He learned that. Now he's exhorting others whenever he recaptured, when he reclaimed his faith, he's saying, listen, you be strong in your faith. Don't give in to the, don't do what I did. And then he says this, remember that your family of believers all over the world, isn't this so similar to what Jesus said? Family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. In other words, understand, people are also dealing with things. I know that you're dealing with stuff, but other people are too. You're not alone in the struggle. But I need you to be solid. Body of Christ, I need you to be solid because other people are depending on your stability. 
And I know that you like to be so self-focused. Well, I just, I just, listen, if, if you would stop being so self-focused, your issues are going to get a lot smaller. So he's like giving him this perspective. Listen, this is happening all over the world. It's not just you. You got to be a little bit more objective, Peter. And then Peter's telling everybody else, hey, church, you got to be a little bit more objective. Satan's trying to destroy you, so you got to stay firm. Everybody's struggling with this. So here Peter talks about him like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion, not a roaring lion. But most of the time in Scripture, we see the enemy portrayed as a serpent, right? A viper, a snake. We see Satan portrayed as a snake. Why we see this in Genesis, right? It says he's crafter, crafty, right? He's kind of slithering through the grass. He's trying to get in and get out and do all the little things he does. He's sneaky like a snake, Right? Have you ever have you ever seen a snake? Like usually they're all like, hey, the snake's here, not like a lion. They're like, hey, I'm in, you know, I'm just kind of in the grass here, just kind of working my way. I'm crafty. I know how to get what I want. We see in Revelation from so from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation says that great serpent, the devil. So all throughout scripture, Satan is referred to as a snake. Now that doesn't mean snakes are demonic. It just means that, that Satan is, is really portrayed as a snake because of his craftiness, because of his sneaky, all, the, all these type of things. So get this, Acts chapter 28. This is really the, the core of our message today, even though I've been going for I don't know how long. Once we were safe on shore, now what happens here, this is Paul. Now Paul's a prisoner, and he's in transport on a ship, and the ship crashes. It's an awesome story. You can go read it in Acts chapter 27. And it is... So basically, he ends up kind of saving <laughs> the guys that imprisoned him, all the officers. I mean, he's, he's arrested, and he's leading everybody as a prisoner. Come on. That'll preach all day. And so it says that they, they get off the boat, they, they get on the shore, and then when they were safe on shore, we learn that we are on the island of Malta. Genesis, uh, sorry, Genesis, Acts, the other new beginning. Okay. So the people of the island were very kind to us, and it was cold and rainy. So they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Now, this is Luke talking. And then he says this, As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake. One translation says a viper. And if you study that out, it's actually a a horned viper, which is, this is not like a pretty garden snake, you know, that you can play with. They're like a vicious looking horned, like rattlesnake looking thing with horns on it, like the devil, right? I mean, it's, it's actually like that type of snake, a poisonous snake, poisonous viper driven out from the heat, bit him on the hand. <laughs> so he's like, you know, just going, carrying, going about his business. Come on, work in the fire, and a snake bites him. And the people of the island, this is important, the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand. <laughs> so he's like, oh, that's not wood. This isn't wood. This is something. This is not a stick. Right? And they said, a murderer, no doubt. That, that's what he got arrested for. He's a murderer. Look, God's judging him by his snake bite. Right? You know what people do? Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. How many times have you been accused or accused someone else? Look what's happening in their life. It's a judgment of God. God's having justice in his life. He's getting bit by a snake. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. 
I mean, this is, this is kind of like what Jesus was talking about in the Great Commission when he's like, snakes and serpents will bite you, and they won't poison you. It won't, it won't affect you. So here he is dangling the snake, and he shakes the snake off. I don't know about you, but, but, but some of us need to shake the snake. You need to, I didn't say Jake the snake. Come on. I said shake the snake. You need to shake the snake that has affected you, that has bitten you, that maybe other people have criticized you, and that's the reason why you're getting bitten. But you need to shake what has happened to you so you can carry on to do what you're supposed to do. So he shakes off the snake into the fire and was unharmed, and the people waited him for him to swell up and suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time, they saw that he wasn't harmed. And they changed their minds and decided he was a God. Listen, we are going to have to learn to shake the snake lest he destroys us. And some of you have allowed the attacks of the enemy to have influence over you. You've allowed his poison to sink into you. Listen, Understand, just as God has a plan for you, so does the devil, right? Peter just talks about it. He, he's going around to devour you, to destroy you. So how does he do that? Well, first of all, he does it through deception, right? We see this in the garden. Surely, God, right? Deception right from the outside, outset. Jesus says this, John 8, He says, the devil is the father of lies. The father of lies. Every lie, come on is seed from the devil. Every lie. Every white lie, every deception, everything that's hidden. You know what? The the enemy is so crafty. He will get us to believe little bitty lies. This is why why honesty is so critical. This is why things that are hidden are, are, this is why it's so important that your spouse knows the password to your phone. This is so important that every letter that you have in your attic, your spouse has access to. This is why you don't get to have secrets in a marriage. Why? Because the enemy will use anything that's hidden against you. And he wants your marriage destroyed. So if you get nervous when somebody picks up your phone, it's probably because you got deception in your life. And the enemy will just use little deceptions to get a hold of you. He wants to deceive you. Listen, that's what he does. He's the li- it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that he masquerades himself around as an angel of light. So the enemy, listen, is pro at deception. He's been doing it from the beginning. He knows how to deceive. That's why truth is so important. And listen, I know that right now we're, there's like what we're dealing with right now, there is a war for truth. What is true? You can't believe anything you see. Because one person's saying this, another person's saying this, one person's showing this from this camera angle, another person's showing, listen, we are living in, a, in, in an age that is full of deception. And we don't know what truth is. You know, used to, we, I was, I was uh, thinking about this the other day, and then I heard a sermon about it, and uh, I believe it was Chris Valid, and he said this, he said, listen, he said, used to, you would hear, you might hear five bad events in your whole life, like five big news things. We, we hear that in a week now. Listen, beloved, we were not created to handle all the bad news that comes across our eyes in a week. We just weren't created to handle it. And so we make a decision about news that happened five minutes ago. 
No time to process. No time to judge it, which scripture calls us to judge things. No time to test it. We just believe it at face value. Well, I saw it. You saw it from that angle. What did the other angle show? And so what we do is we react to it immediately. I can't tell you how many things that I've deleted over the last year because I reacted to something because I was deceived. So what does that mean? That means that that more than ever that we need to be people of truth. Because listen, the, the battle against deception isn't coming and praying, although you need to do that. It's truth. It's the word of God. It's Jesus. Come on. It's the Holy Spirit. Deception. Listen, that is, that is his, the devil's main playground is to deceive you. If he can get you just to believe a little lie, that's his bait. And so many have fallen into deception. So he wants to devour you. The second way he does it is by distracting you. Just by distracting you. And listen, it doesn't have to be a big thing. A distraction doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a sin issue. Sometimes it's just, listen, the enemy is totally fine with you getting distracted. Remember Jesus? He's fasting. And he comes up and he's like, hey, Jesus, aren't you hungry? Turn these stones into bread. I know you can do it. And Jesus is like, "Uh uh-uh. I'm not out here to eat. I'm out here to fast. I don't give in to you. It is written. What did he keep coming back to? The truth. It is written. It is written. It is written. His question was always on his identity. Jesus always went back to the word. Come on. See, a distraction is intended to get your focus off the right thing. It's not necessarily, listen, a distraction isn't necessarily to get your mind on the wrong thing. It's just to get it off the right thing. So a little issue becomes a big thing. I don't know. I'm I'm reading this book right now that's blowing me away. It's called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it's just like, oh, how many times do I sweat the small stuff? What is the small stuff? It's just a distraction. It's not a big deal, but the enemy is using it to keep me from being focused on what I need to be focused on. It doesn't matter. At, At that point, it doesn't even matter if it's sin. It just means that I'm doing something that I'm not supposed to do. Come on. Are you okay? So, to distract you, to deceive you, distract you. His, his third intent is this, is to drive you away from God. And this is his ultimate goal, right? To deceive you, to drive you away from God. Listen, the, the, the enemy would love to, to get, you, get in you and get you offended and get you bothered by things, about you getting focused on earthly things that may matter, but to be more focused on those than eternal things. Listen, he is so interested in getting you, getting you mad about something that you can't change, about you harboring bitterness towards someone who offended you, for you going around hunting for justice all the time, and justice is a great thing. But sometimes you think it's something that it's not. And so in his plan, he's just coming in and he's accomplishing his means of what? Just making your heart just a little bit bitter and a little bit cold towards God, a little bit distanced towards God. Listen, if your heart is farther from God than it was a year ago, then the devil has had his way in you. And that is his plan. It's just to distract you. It's just to get you distant from God. Anything he can do, anything that he can do that you will justify. Hmm. 
We don't understand how hurt I was. Listen, I don't understand. I know that Jesus, I'm not making a lot of your affliction, beloved. Please understand this. But you need to understand that that is the enemy's assignment, is to get your eyes off of Jesus. And he's going to do that through a distraction, a deception, anything to drive you away from God. So we see this. Serpent. We just got to shake that stuff off. Listen, beloved, you've got to get a little bit more resilient towards these poisons. And then he uses several kinds of poisons. And it shows right here, just a little illustration for you. First of all, the poison, the poison of crisis. How many of us have experienced a crisis over the past year? Guess what? The enemy will use that crisis to poison you. It's the bite. An event happens. I'm hurt. COVID. Someone got on my case because I wasn't wearing a mask or because I didn't use a hand sanitizer. A crisis, an, an event happens. How many of you have been bitten? We've all, I think that we've all been bitten over the last year. We've all been bitten over the last week. Am I going to allow it to poison me? Is it, a, is it a personal crisis? Is it a national crisis? Is it a, an emotional crisis? What is it? Are you allowing it to poison you? I'm not saying that you don't be affected by it, but you're unharmed. You've got to shake it off if it's going to unharm you. <laughs> right? Unharm you. That doesn't work. So the poison of a crisis. The poison of criticism. So listen, Paul wasn't just shaking off a snake that day. He had to shake off what was being spoken to him. In fact, the things that were spoken about him were just as much a trial and just as poisonous to him, potentially, as the bite. Because here they are criticizing him of being a murderer. A murderer, no doubt. A murderer. Listen, the devil is a liar. And all his, listen, his criticism towards you is lying criticism. Have you ever, like, tried to convince, I do this all the time because I'm such a people pleaser. I try to convince people of things that I'm not guilty of, that I feel like they're accusing me of. Like they're not even criticizing me. They're criticizing somebody else, but I think that they're criticizing me. Am I the only one that does that? I'm like, come on. Well, let me just try to defend myself here. <laughs> right? And it's just lying criticism. It's, it's so far from the truth. Can I tell you this, that you will never be able to please all the people all the time? Never. You know, a a landslide victory is considered 55% of the votes. (laughs) That's a landslide. Does it feel like it? Because if that's me and I won 55%, all I'm thinking about is a 45 that didn't vote for me. All I'm thinking about is my critics. Why do we invest so much time? Because the enemy's trying to distract us. He uses that criticism or even the lack of affirmation to come and poison us. Now, here's the deal. Some criticism is true. So you don't have to keep or hold on to all the criticism, just the true parts. And sometimes people, God will use a critic, someone that we don't like, that we don't agree with. Sometimes God will use a critic that has a lot of bad things to say, but there's one thing that they say is true. And what I need to be able to do is I need to be able to throw out the bad and take the good from that. 
And trust me, as a pastor, I get a lot of this. And so, and so when I get the criticism, I go, okay, let's look at it. And I've got to be objective. I can't just go, well, everything they said was a lie. I go, well, let's see. I test it. I judge it. Is that true? That's not true. Is that true? It's not true, but I could see where they said it. So let me try to explain that part. What about this part? Oh, that's, that's, that is true. And you know what I do when that happens? Even towards someone that's acting like an enemy, even though they might not be, I go, okay, I can see that. I'll agree with you there. I, I need to work on that. We need to work on that. We've had people leaving the church, leave the church before, and they, they criticize all these things. And we're like, well, that's not true. That's not true. They say something. Like, that's true. And I'm like, oh, that's true. Yeah, we need to get better there. Just own it. So I don't have to hold on to all of the criticism, just the true parts, right? So don't hold, so throw out the bad, come on, and embrace the good. So don't allow it to poison you. The third uh, poison is this, cynicism. So here they are. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> waiting for him to die. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> well, he's going to die. He's going to swell up and die here in a minute. Just watch. The judgment of God is coming. Cynicism, right? Listen, what ends up happening? What ends up happening? It says this, but when they had waited a long time, they saw he was unharmed. So what do you do about cynicism? You let time prove them wrong. That's what you do. You just stay faithful. Do you address it? You know how I, you know how I address cynicism? You know how I address the doubters? You know how I address them? I just keep going. That's what I do. I just keep going. I don't get distracted. I don't get discouraged by what they said. At least I try not to. I just keep going. I just keep going. Guess what I've been doing? This is 1993 towards the critics. Guess what I've been doing for almost 28 years? Is that right? Whoa. Getting up there. Matt, getting up here. I don't know what's happening to me. You know what I've done? I just kept going. I just kept going. Just got to keep going. You don't plan a church. You don't know anybody. You don't have any money. What are you going to do? Eight years later, we're just keeping on going. It's as big as we thought it would be. No. Do we think we're going to face a pandemic? No. What are we going to do? We're going to shut the doors? No. Because we got a word from the Lord that said, this is what you're supposed to do. So we said, okay. We're just going to keep doing that until God tells me to do something else. And I hope he never does. And the fourth is this, the poison of celebration. Mm. What are you doing with all those compliments? Because this is what they did. It says, they changed their minds and decided he was a God. Now, there would have been a big problem if he would have believed that. If he would have believed their celebration, if he would have Believe the accolades that they were giving him. It could have been far worse for him. Beloved, the way that you handle praise is as critical as the way that you're handling being criticized. It's just as important because all we think about is, hey, I just need to make sure that I handle my critics. And listen, you've also got to make sure that you are sober-minded when somebody comes up to you and they're complimenting you like crazy because they probably have the best intentions. But sometimes what happens is we get complimented as we do this. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then we were walking around and we go, why aren't I getting affirmed more? 
Maybe because you would get puffy. And I don't ever want to be puffy. Come on. Especially in the waistline like last year has done to us all. I don't want to get puffy. Come on. I want to, I want to stay humble before the Lord. Now, now listen, it's not your job to humble me. It's not my job to humble you. That could be a problem. And so we'll use criticism, a devil's tool, sometimes to try to make people humble. Well, well, God wants me to tell you. Well, okay. I, I, I'm, like I, I mentioned a while ago, I'm reading this book, and one of, the, one of the titles is this, Praise and Blame, They're All the Same. Praise and blame, they're all the same. <laughs> Whoa! It's true. I better learn to find the balance and, and not just look for all the things that are on the outside, but that I would have an objective view. That I would see through eyes that are clear. That I wouldn't be deceived by either one of those things. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with receiving praise. Don't listen, and don't get into this false humility thing where people are like, man, that was so good. Oh, it was all Jesus. It wasn't that good. Right? Don't, don't get into that. That's false humility. What you do, this is what you do. When somebody comes and they celebrate something in your life, you say, thank you. I appreciate that. That encourages me because you're being honest. You don't go, well, it's all God. Right? And so You're so spiritual. I think sometimes in our, this thing that we call spiritual, like we're actually being really carnal. Come on, because there's nothing wrong with you receiving a compliment. But whenever you get that, what do you do with it? The problem is not receiving a compliment. The problem is keeping it. The problem is letting it make you haughty or, or prideful. What you need to do is you need to take that and then, then after service or whenever it is, for me it's after service. Man, Pastor, that was a great word. Thank you so much. That, that encourages me. It, you know, it keeps me going. But you know what I do at the end of the night? When God's moved, I don't sit around going, oh, that was so awesome. None of that. I'm just like, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I got to honor you today. And guess what? I just took that praise, and I didn't hold on to it, but I used it as an offering to the Lord. Come on. And that's the same way with you. Whether it's at work, come on. Whatever it is, receive it. Receive it well. Come on. You don't have to be so, we know you're not that spiritual anyway. I mean, you're the only one that's convinced. <laughs> All right. So, don't, don't get poisoned. So how do you develop this resilience? How do you shape this thing? Come on, spiritual resilience. Because if anything that we need in this hour right now is we need Christians. We need people of God. We need people that say that they love Jesus. We need them to be resilient. We need to stop being so affected and so moved by everything. Let me back up a little bit. It should affect you, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't harm you. Are you okay? It doesn't harm you. We saw this, uh, Pastor Leslie and I were walking. We, we walk. We started walking during COVID because it's good for our bodies, and we didn't want to weigh 400 pounds at the end of it, just 300 pounds. And so... We said, we'll start walking, and it's a great time. I'd highly recommend you do that with your spouse. It's very good. And so we're out walking, and we, you know, have a couple of areas that we walk around in the neighborhood, and we saw this tree. Never saw it before until this past week. 
there was this tree that was probably, I don't know, six or seven foot high, and it had been cut. They cut it off. They cut the top off of it, and it was all dried up. The bark was gone, and I tried to take a picture of it on my phone, but the picture didn't come out, so I'll spare you the picture. And it had, but out the top of it, there was this sprout coming out the top of it. Had leaves on it. It was all being fruitful. So I'm looking at this tree, and I look at Leslie, and I said, that tree's resilient. I mean, it has been through some stuff. It's been debarked. Its limbs have been cut off. Come on. They chopped the top down, but it's still producing. It's still being resilient. I was so encouraged by that because I feel like many of us this past year, we've been debarked. We've been chopped off. Our limbs have been cut off, but we're still producing. We might not look like we did a year ago, but we're still producing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, Paul says this. He says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We get knocked down, but we get up again, right? It's like every time the attack comes, I get back up. Why? Because I got a good root system. Because I've got some resilience. How do you maintain resilience or develop a resilient spirit? How do you shake the snake? Number one, you maintain tenderness. That's got to be the goal. Lord, at the end of it, I don't want to be bitter. I want to be better. Listen, if you're meaner, because of the events over the last year or over the last 10 years. If you're meaner, because of the bites, you've been poisoned. And our attitude sometimes towards tenderness is that it's weakness. But listen, tenderness is not weakness. It's actually called meekness, which means strength under control. That we're strong, but we don't have to be mean about it. We don't have to prove it. It just happens. I don't have to tell. I don't have to broadcast it. I don't have to post about it. Come on. Listen, this will be the hardest battle in your life that you will face, beloved. Listen to me. The the battle for your heart, the battle for your heart to be tender will be the hardest battle that you face because stuff is going to come at you. I can tell you over the last year, it's been the hardest. I've I've been in ministry since I got saved. Since 93, almost 28 years I've been, I was actually doing ministry before I was saved. Weird. Hypocrite. Very unfruitful, by the way. (laughs) Hardest year ever. Wasn't the only hard thing I faced. I faced a lot of hard stuff. I've been wronged by a lot of people. But I didn't get better. I got better because of it. Doesn't make it easy. But I've battled for my heart. You, let me tell you where you battle for your heart at. It's when you wake up in the morning before anybody else does, and you crawl in there, and you get down on your chair, and you sit on your chair for a little bit, and you open up the Bible, and you seek Jesus. That's where you work on your heart. It's when you show up at a prayer meeting on a Saturday night, even though you don't want to, but, you know, it's important for you to get in God's presence so you escape. That's how you maintain your tenderness. If you've forgotten how to be tender and gracious, 
You're not resilient. And that's what we think. Oh, they're resilient. They're tough. No, thank you. I don't want to be tough. I want to be tender. I want to be resilient. And I think I am. Maybe not as resilient as I need to be, but I'm growing in it. But I don't want to be tough. If you got, forgot how to be tender and gracious, you're not resilient. You're bitter. And don't justify your bitterness because I know it would be easy for you to do it. And I'm sure that I could justify your bitterness. I'm sure I could say, I, I understand. I'm sure I can understand your bitterness. I'm sure I can. I'm sure if I was bitter after all the crap that I've been through in the past 27 years, I can tell you I could probably sit around and go, you know what? <laughs> you could understand how I'm bitter, huh? And I would even have people come around me and basically tell me, you should be bitter about that. It happened. But I said, this battle is the hardest battle that I face. Beloved, your bitterness isn't helping you. It's hurting you. And the Lord wants to heal that. Heal that. Heal that. So keep short accounts. If someone hurts you, figure out a way to forgive them in the next couple of days at least. Or at least try to. It might take a week. It might take a year. It might take a decade. I don't know. But pursue tenderness. Because this is what happens when we allow our heart to get hard through bitterness. What happens is not only do we block out the voices of those that would hurt us or the actions of those that hurt us, we actually also block out what the Lord is wanting to do in us. Because you don't have the ability to discern, okay, what parts of my heart are going to be hard and what parts are going to be soft. Listen, if it's hard, it's hard. This is why he tells Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit wants to do all those things. Pursue tenderness. Number two, focus on depth, not distance. Focus on depth, not distance. I know, I know. It's 2021. Get your goals on. Yeah, that didn't work out very good last year. We've learned to kind of set our expectations really low. I'm I'm learning. That's one thing. Josh, what have you learned the last year? I've learned to not have such high expectations or unrealistic expectations. You need to have them high. You need to keep your hopes up. But are they placed in the right spot? So focus on depth, not distance. See, if you work the root, you can watch the fruit. Work the root. How is that tree able to stand? Work the root. It's got a good root system. That's why. doesn't matter what happened to it above the surface. What was happening in the hidden places? Roots are hidden. Nobody, listen, the things that will cause you to last, nobody will see those things. They're going to be doing it when it's just you and Jesus. Beloved, what does your devotional life look like, Jesus? Well, I just don't have time. Well, you better learn to make some time or you're going to continually to be influenced by all the things that are happening around you. You're going to continue to experience harm. Depth, not distance. Your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith, your faith. And if it's been hard, anytime it's been tough, guess what that is? That's testing your faith. It's testing your root system. And it's okay, little tree. Grow, grow, grow. Because you're rooted. Number three, recognize your authority. Your authority. Did you know that you have authority to shake off snakes? When they bite you. Crisis. You have authority over poison. The things that we talked about. 
And let me just suggest this to you with authority. Authority is not gained. It's not earned. It's inherited. Your authority is inherited. So you don't have authority because you're man of God, woman of God. Actually, you do have authority because of that, if you'll understand it properly. Because you belong to God. That's why you have authority. See, it's not because of, it, it, it is because of whose you are that makes you who you are. And that makes you more than a conqueror. Because your life is hidden in him. The one with absolute authority. So I have authority not because Josh Brown has put the work in. No, it's because Jesus put the work in. He put the work in. And I'm his. And so everything that he has dominion over, I'm hidden in him. So now his dominion lives through my life. Come on. I'll surrender to that any day. And some of you have no authority. Oh, here we go. You have no authority because you have no surrender. Because <laughs> you're always trying to assert yourself. Have you ever heard that? If you have to tell everybody you're in charge, it's because you're not. <laughs> come on. Recognize your authority. It's not, it doesn't come from you. You have it, but it's not yours. It's his. You're an ambassador. You're a representative of this king. You're more than a conqueror, not just because you're high and mighty, princess. No, no, no. It's because you belong to him and your life is hidden. You've, you've died. So the only things that you possess <laughs> are what he possesses. Okay. So when you get that, it's easier, number four, to submit to God. These are ways to, to develop your resilience, by the way. Maintain tenderness. Focus on depth, not distance. Recognize your authority. Number four, submit to God. I know we got a little list today, but that's okay. I'm preaching. Submit to God. James 4, 7. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We have a lot of resistors. The devil doesn't flee. Why? Because you've got to submit before you ever resist. Because some of you have been resisting on your own authority. What you need to do is you need to be submitted to his authority. And then when it comes to say, listen, I want, some, I want to have some authority, you're able to resist it. Because you've submitted to the greater authority. Do you understand? Do you understand that every time... The enemy comes and tempts you, and you give in. You have given him authority in your life. He cannot steal from you. He can't. The only way that he can steal from you is if you allow him in. He doesn't have authority in, in you unless you allow it. So who are you granting authority to, to Jesus or to the devil? When you get offended, guess who you've given authority to? Not to God? You gave them keys right over. So resistance starts with yielding to God. This is why you say, well, I've tried to stop, right? When you deal with addiction, people are like, I've tried to stop a thousand times. I know. I've tried to stop looking at porn a million times. I've, I've, I've deleted my browsing history a thousand times. I've done this. I've tried to quit having lustful thoughts X amount of times. I've tried to quit smoking a hundred thousand times. I've tried the patch. You've tried, you've tried, you've tried, you've tried. Have you tried submitting to God and then say no when it comes? Do you understand the posture is so different? Because what we say is, well, I'm not strong enough. That's okay. You don't have to be strong. 
You just have to be surrendered. Because it's not your strength that overcomes, it's his. See, somehow we believed a lie in this Christianity thing that it's about us. It's really not. It's about him. It's about you yielding to that. It's really about you dying. (laughs) I'm done. God's like, great. Ephesians 4.27, don't give the enemy a foothold. Listen, all the enemy needs to have absolute authority in your life is for you just to give him one little yes. Just one little yes. You're like, oh, man, it's not, listen, it's not the big sins that trap you up. I mean, it's easy to say, it's easy to say no to the big sins. Unless you said yes to a lot of little ones. <laughs> oh, they're little and yes. Yeah, I would say yes. This is why it's important for you to have some self-control and for you to have some discipline because those little wins produce big victories. They just really do. And so when the enemy comes in, it works the same way. Your little yes, your little agreement with him gives him authority to run in your life. Don't give him any authority. You stop that. You've heard it said before, sin will take you way further than you want to go. Almost done. Number five, resist. So you submitted. That's the posture. Number five is resist. You got to say no to it. There will be times that you just have to say no to the devil. You'll just have to say no to the temptation. You have to say no to the fireback, the reaction, the filth, the sin. No matter how big or how small it is, you just say no to it. See, resistance develops resilience. Resistance develops resilience. So the more that you, listen, you need to, you, you will, the grace of God will teach you to say no to things. You need to learn to say no to things. You need to say, learn to say no to things that aren't even sin. You just need to say no to things because you need to train your no muscle. <laughs> Come on. Some of y'all need to train your yes muscle. Some of you can't say yes because you said no so many times. And some of y'all can't say no because you said yes so many times. Resist. Resist every sin. Resist every offense. Shake off the negative attitude. Resist, resist, resist. No, no, no. I mean, some of you just need to get so fed up with the issues in your life. Whenever you get the temptation, you just verbally take that authority and say, no, stop it. I'm done. Have you been there? But most of us, what we do is when we're trapped, when we've been poisoned, what we tend to do is we go, I'm just such a victim. Here it comes again. No! It ends today. Come on, will you just develop that resistance? Just learn. Just learn to say no. Shake. Shake the snake. Shake the snake. Shake the snake. Titus chapter 2. We're, we're finishing up right here with this verse. For the grace of God that has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Other words, the grace that saved you teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives at this in this present age. What is it? It's the grace of God. 
It's the grace of God. It's the same grace of God that saved me in 1993. That same grace of God teaches me in 2021 to say, "Mm, let's not react to that. It's the same grace. The same grace that empowers righteousness. It's not done through effort. It's done through trust.